This is the Heavy Hole Podcast. I am Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck, my co-host this evening, Ian Cody's. Welcome him back. Thank you, sir. Happy to be here as always. Of course, man. We're happy to have you back. Um, it's been a thrilling, emotional roller coaster of a weekend on my end. Uh, and I'm going to let you know just how that roller coaster ended. Did I vomit? Uh, did I was could I get the bar down over my belly, or did I have to embarrassingly walk away in front of everyone else? I, I'll let you know at the end. I'm going to leave you um, leave you there for a minute. Because Ian, how have you been? Been very good. Uh, everybody here is happy and healthy, which is a rarity. So no complaints. I did. I, I was obviously going to ask Will a few questions on my end based off your weekends. I don't know what order you want to go in, but. Did want to just say up front, congrats on the pup, man. I know that's probably separate from the rest of the weekend festivities, but but uh, beautiful looking dog on uh, that I saw on Instagram. Yes, yes, thank you. I've been because I've I've been mainly bringing this up with you, um, uh, when we talk because you because we talk animals a lot when when I have you on. Um, the only person I've talked about animals more than with with more than you is probably when I interviewed Jeff Gross, who's a zookeeper. So that that says something. Um, yeah, we adopted, uh, a, a dog. She's, uh, she's a Husky Shepherd mix, but she's eight years old. So she's not as crazy and, and wildy as you might think. She's, she's got a lot of energy. She's, I'm not a biologist or a certified animal trainer, but my, um, my theory right now, she's a good dog. That's amazing. That's what you were looking for, right? I, when we had spoken in the past, I think you were in the market for something a little older, a little wiser, maybe not mm-hmm. not the normal pup that most people are going for, right? I was picturing like a gray old hound dog that would sleep uh, 15 to 20 hours a day. This dog is a lot more lively than that, but the, the, I think that's what I need maybe because I've already gotten more exercise in the last 48 hours than I probably got in the the 42 years prior to that so uh it's you know we're, we're, we're getting the walks in i'm getting my steps in that's for sure with this dog man yeah it's everything's are things are good man um uh you gotta I, I i if people are looking for a dog you can definitely adopt them out of the shelters just keep an eye out and make sure they fit your situation that's my that's my walk away from this um uh and that yeah uh so we got i got the dog um uh, they said they found her wandering around the airport out here on Long Island, out in Islip there. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So she's, um, my, th- my theory, at least what I'm going to tell my nephew is that she flew in from Alaska. She, she got loose. She got, you know, she got loose from the, uh, from an actual, you know, sled up there or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, that, that, that was, that was that. And then of course, shout to, you know, outside of my, my narcissistic bubble of what goes on in my world and my personal life, um, shout to Tomb Mold. Shout to the Meadows uh, and shout to St. Vitus Bar. Um, uh, being part of Afterbirth, uh, we I was uh, just honored to be there. That was a great show out there on Friday evening. Um, shout to everybody that came through and sold merch. I know a lot of you are listening because a lot of people came up to me and talked about Heavy Hole Podcast. I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast and supporting Reeking Aura, too. I saw some people with the Reeking Aura gear, man. Um, what a life-affirming weekend. That show was so good, and then adopting the dog next day. I've been listening to PM Dawn's first three albums on repeat. I've just been bouncing back between the first three PM Dawn albums for like like three days now. It's it's been it's been an affirming experience. That's beautiful. Yeah, I I uh, 
I know the weekend with the Vitus stuff and last minute shuffles, so much craziness. Um, but uh, I actually did have a really quick, really quick story for you, Will, that I thought you might get a kick out of. When we spoke last, I think I might have noted that I was planning on attending uh, an epic heavy metal show. I went to uh, Eternal Champion in Summerlands. Oh, um, yeah. For those that might be in the know, uh, they played uh, last night as of this taping. Um, William music hall of williamsburg and um i, th- I thought for a minute um, i thought for a minute you were addressing me by my formal name <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 uh no but um but i'm in that show dude and it's like you know it's a power metal crowd it's epic heavy metal which that yeah. used to be a guilty pleasure of mine after last night's show by the way no more guilt i this is no. just pleasurable for me now i i have a blast i'm not ashamed of i used to work in comic book stores i used to go to like magic the gathering tournaments when i was in college and shit that's sick. That's, that's a part of my life you know that's so sick. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hide hide behind yeah. something else anymore that's sick. um and as far as the show is concerned i felt like i was on a remember those uh five gum commercials where dudes would lay down in like a pit of marbles and then they would like gyrate oh, the yeah, yeah, have yeah. like an orgasm experience yeah i felt yeah. like i was on like dungeons and dragons dice you know like a, yeah. a d20 pit and i'm just getting razzled and dazzled on that as mm. i lay naked atop it it was wow. a beautiful epic heavy metal experience i'm at this show will i go to the bathroom right outside the bathroom dude sipping a beer is rocking an afterbirth lawn sleeve. And I was like, Hey, great shirt, man. And he was like, Oh, thank you so much. It was like the only death metal shirt that I saw the Beautiful. entire night. And he's, he's supporting you guys. So thought you might get a kick out of that. that I actually see that he's working for us. He was keeping an eye on you. That's what you don't know. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Making, making, <laughs> just watching your back just in case something jumped off. You know what I mean? He's, that's our guy. He's a Muay Thai guy. Um, uh yeah, we I, all the co-hosts. I got people out there watching them. I need you guys for this show, man. I'm glad. I'm glad though, man. You know, um, uh, yeah. You know, you get to a certain age. I think part of being a man, uh, being a real adult is there's there, there's no music is a guilty pleasure. No media. You just you just did it. Like, dude, I when I talk about PM Dawn, I honestly know the deep cuts on their later albums after set adrift on memory of bliss and and after that Eddie murphy like i i really do you know i could i could we could go on a 45 minute thing about pm dawn watch you know but i do bring it up because i realize it's comical for the listeners and for the the death metal heads out there who don't like pm dawn that I, you know I, I i play on i riff on it for people it just like just like my name being will smith it's a gift something else that's a gift the ability of today's guest uh, uh, to work in such a prolific manner, the way he does to curate uh, and produce such true and time-honored releases in uh, uh, particular black metal history, but we're going to talk about other things. Let's get into it with Yosuke of Nuclear War Now Records. Recording in, in Reaper over here, and I record in Zoom. Just give me one second. Recording in progress. 
This is Big Will from the Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with none other than Yosuke from Nuclear War Now Productions. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, of course, and uh, there's a lot to get into. You have a lot coming up um, for 2024. We want to uh, promote Helios Press, which is your newest venture, and you have a Kickstarter um, coming up in, in March for that. Um, you, you also have, uh, your, your usual nuclear war now productions rundown of events and, and releases. We want to get into all that, but the heavy hole podcast listeners know that first and foremost, I'm going to ask you, um, well, I usually would ask, are you from a musical family? Uh, that sort of thing. I know from the, uh, self-interview podcast that you published on the nuclear war now productions, YouTube channel. Uh, with Jay Campbell, who who uh, helps out a lot with with um, Nuclear War Now Productions um, literature and that sort of thing, that you are from a fairly artistic family. It's fair to say that pretty much everyone in your family has some sort of artistic expression and has managed been able to do so for a living, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think my upbringing and my family has have a lot to do with what I'm doing now. Um, you know, I, I'm the product of my environment and my family created a very good environment for me to grow up in. So, um, yeah, so just, just a short background on my, my family. My mother was probably the most influential person in my life. Uh, she was a lithograph printer, um, for most of her life. And I grew up around printing presses in my living room. Um, going to her art showings, her friends' art showings. You know, back then I wasn't really into it. I, I felt like I was being dragged to places uh, that I didn't want to go to. But in hindsight, they were all really good experiences that that probably shaped me over the years. Um, while I don't do visual art myself, I think I have an art uh, or I have an eye for uh, visual art. And especially graphic design, I, I think uh, I'm decent at it. So, yeah, my mom just dragging me to all the art showings and museums and whatever else uh, definitely helped me and my family. Um, my two other sisters, they're older than me. They're both doing art uh, in their own way. So one is an oil painter professionally, and the other one lives on a small, tiny island, like 300 people uh just doing pottery and photography and stuff like that so yeah i owe a lot to my family from my background and what i'm doing now okay and you know speaking of your family i also know from that um that interview that you guys published on your youtube channel you were actually uh born and raised till about the age of nine years old in tokyo japan and then relocated mm -hmm. to the u.s because your stepfather was a journalist he, he relocated for work right right exactly so the entire family moved to the U.S. suburbs of Washington D.C. Um, I think the the first city we moved to was Boston, uh, Virginia. It's a it's a metro stop right outside of D.C. That's where we moved to. Uh, we were living in a tiny apartment then, and then my uh, stepfather uh, was able to buy a house in Falls Church, Virginia, and that's where we lived and grew up. Um, yeah. I think we chose that location because it was very close to the metro station, um, and it was an easy commute for him. He was working in, I think, uh, 
what was it, Metro Center Station, if I recall correctly. I haven't been in Washington, D.C. in like over two decades, so I don't remember exactly, but it's somewhere downtown right near the Freedom Plaza. It's where we were. Um, do you do you think that combination of um, being born in, born in one country, moving to another country in childhood, your stepfather's a journalist, um, uh, does that play into maybe exploring the underground scene and getting into the nitty gritty of demo bands and, and, and just, just like that, that kind of quest for knowledge type of thing, you know? Yeah, I never thought about it that way, but perhaps subconsciously had some effects on how I perceive the world. Um, I can kind of see that with people who have never left the U.S. before. And you meet a lot of these people in the middle of the country. They just uh, haven't left their state yet. Even like my one of my workers, Justin. I don't think he's actually left the state of Texas before, or maybe he's actually ventured out to Arizona or something. But yeah, definitely not um, the country. So he's never he's never been outside the U.S. Um, and I think that really shapes how people perceive the world. You know, if you don't know what other cultures look like, smell like, taste like, then you don't really know the world at all. So, you know, myself, I got to travel, um, not just to Japan, but I had a, I had a career in biotech before this. Um, and in fact, I quit my, uh, biotech job just last year. To focus more on my on the label and also the factory that we're building, uh, but that work actually sent me to a lot of places. So, um, I've been to India ten times, uh, about fifteen years ago at this point. But there was a span of about two or three years where they were sending me to India multiple times a year, and uh, we we're setting up a call center of uh, scientists. So I was in charge of supporting a software that was used for genetic research. And I guess the company just wanted to outsource the support. So they just sacked the entire support team within the U.S., which I was part of. But I got lucky in that I, they made me the manager of the new call center. So that's what I was doing for 20 plus years working for this biotech company in California. But yeah, I went to India as part of that company's uh, uh, business travels, I got to go to England, um, Spain, let's see. And then as part of the NWN Festival um, that started in 2009, um, you know, I went to Germany many, many times, and more than 10 times at this point. And because I was already over there, I would you know, bring my family along and then we would travel elsewhere. So I've been to Italy, I've been to Czech Republic, um, Spain, let's see, Netherlands, uh, Finland. So yeah, I have a pretty, pretty broad and global um, understanding of the metal scene. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think everyone needs to travel more to understand the world. It's not a, I think Americans, especially in the middle of the country, tend to perceive America as the, you know, this like center of the universe or something where everything just happens here. Uh, that might be the case from a political and geopolitical, militaristic perspective, but um, 
you know, there there's a entire world out there outside of the U.S. People should go exploring. Yeah. From a geopolitical perspective, yes. From an underground metal perspective, I think that leaves you at a disadvantage to just stay. Yeah, in yeah. yeah, I agree. Uh, but I do, I do like American metal as well. Uh, uh, yeah, I think yeah. the two continents that produce the best metal are Europe and uh, the U.S. or North America. Uh, at least now. In the past, I would have said South America as well in the eighties because there were. A lot of good bands coming out of Chile, Peru, and Brazil, but that's not so much the case anymore. You've put out um, reissues of like very obscure, <clears throat> uh, kind of seminal black metal and and uh, death metal albums from mm -hmm. a lot of those different countries you just mentioned. Uh, I'm I'm looking right now at like EKG and Immortality. Uh, Detonator, mm -hmm. maybe even Vehement Thrower, I would throw in there. These are bands that your even your average, you know, day to day underground collector might have might not have been familiar with. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about just like finding bands like that, uh, but mm -hmm. also going down the road to like tracking down ex members and getting the rights to that sort of thing. I imagine that sometimes that can get a little complicated. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not easy, um, but it's fun. So. I like to do stuff like that. Um, I guess to address your question, you know, why why do we seek out these obscure bands from countries where metal isn't as popular or just perceived as not being as popular? Um, the bands that you just mentioned, EKG, Immortality, uh, Vehemental War, those are all Eastern European bands. And I think, you know, these Eastern European countries don't get the attention that they deserve. Um, a lot of good bands came out of the Czech Republic. People can probably name maybe two out of, you know, hundreds. It's usually Master's Hammer, uh, Root, or Tor or something, if they're into that scene. But, you know, if you ask, like, the average metal fan, they probably couldn't even mention one band from the Czech Republic or Russia, you know. So I'm trying to change that because I feel like those bands that were incubated under communistic um, behind the Iron Curtain situations in the 80s and early 90s, you know, I say early 90s, even though the Iron Curtain fell in the early 90s, people were still affected by it. You know, it's not like they just caught up all of a sudden or, or the floodgate just uh, opened up and everything flooded in. The culture took a bit to adjust. So when you hear music from Russia from the early 90s, it's almost like hearing music from five years before that, you know. So you'll hear a band like uh, Varvar record an album in 92, 93, and it sounds like it's something from 1987 or something because they were so behind technologically and just stylistically from what was happening in the 90s, which is a great thing because a lot of shitty heavy metal came out, thrash metal came out in the 90s. Um, so it's great that they were stuck still in the 80s. So uh, yeah, I, I like that aspect of countries that were closed off. It's just fun to explore and countries like um, Poland, Czech Republic, Slovenia, you know, all these countries have gems that are not explored yet by labels. Uh, I guess it's just not 
that commercially viable for bigger labels like Nuclear Blast or Peaceville to start digging around in those countries for the best material. Um, it's the work of underground labels like like me, Zombie Dance, uh, Life Eternal, uh, to some extent Iron Bonehead, Iron Pegasus, to start digging around and to unearth these gems from, from the past. I feel like it's our work to expose these bands that deserve exploring, you know. Like, Hungary has a lot of good bands, but, you know, the only band that made it kind of big is Tormentor, and even the average metal fan is not going to remember Tormentor. They might know Mayhem, but not Tormentor, where Attila started in. And Tormentor, to me, is a more significant band. Uh, they were doing something more like Bathory back when Mayhem could hardly play their instruments. So, I would say that exploring these old bands that really set the set the standard for Eastern European metal should be explored more. And that applies to other regions as well. So I've done a lot of work for South American bands, especially those coming from Chile and Brazil. So they kind of had the same sort of situation where they were limited by technology. Uh, their uh, work, you know, just, I guess, uh, their financial situation because they weren't doing all that well back in the 80s. Um, and also their geopolitical situations, uh, their criminal um, issues that they were having in the 80s. Like, for example, in Medellin, Colombia, where Pablo Escobar was uh, terrorizing everyone, you know, metal bands and punk bands were still operating under those conditions. And there's a documentary made about it called Rodrigo D. No Futuro, where they document some of these bands that everyone should watch because that's, you know, that's as real as it, as it gets um, for metal and extreme violence. Some of those people in the movie were metal musicians or punk musicians, and they were killed in making of the movie. Um, so that's real war metal to me. You know, bands yeah. like Blasphemia, Parabellum, uh, Gloucester Gladiator, Nemesis, Reincarnacion, uh, Herpes, all these bands were creating real dangerous music in dangerous situations <laughs> under the poorest of conditions as well. You know, they were recording on top of rooftops using the most archaic equipment possible yet still creating something very fresh and original. You know, there's a specific sound to the Brazilian bands and um, Colombian bands from that time period because they were limited by the equipment that they could record on. So they made the best of it. They were somewhat limited by their um, musical proficiencies as well. They weren't the musical geniuses that you, you sometimes hear in bands, uh, bands coming out of richer countries. They just, you know, they never got the musical trainings. So they were just learning on the spot, playing as fast as they could. Um, and I think those desperate conditions create more interesting music. Uh, it sounds more real to me when I hear a band like Sarcophago playing as fast as they can. And it comes out a little clunky at times, but you can really hear the, the pure emotion that they're trying to convey in their music. Same goes for bands like Carabellum, where 
it's it's very sloppy, but it sounds it sounds like nothing else that was coming out in 1984. Whenever they recorded Sacrilegio, you know, um, the rumor is that it's somewhere around 84, 85 that they self-produced that recording. Um, it was way ahead of their time. It sounds even more crazier than Slayer or Bathory that, you know, were very uh, influential back then. So, yeah, so I'm trying to change the course of um, I guess the course of metal history, I, I think it's, you know, when you read these uh, so-called uh, metal books or, you know, there are a lot of books written about black metal and thrash metal, death metal. When you read them, you get the feeling most of the time that these people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Um, at least from, from my perspective, I feel like they just they discovered black or death metal just a couple years ago and they got their stupid college degree in literature and they want to do something with this. So they, they write these shitty books that are very surface skimming. And I get a bit frustrated because they don't ever concentrate on, uh, you know, bands from South America or Eastern Europe. They just, touch on the bigger bands from those places. Maybe they'll mention Sepultura, they'll mention Sarcophago, but they don't go any past um, past those bands, and they hardly ever touch Peru, Chile, or Colombia, um, not to mention Mexico. So the, all of these places produce great music, and they should be remembered. So as part of my agenda in running NWN, I want to make these bands and scenes more visible to the wider audience because I have that level of platform now. You know, when I first started, I didn't, but now I feel like I can really push my agenda forward. Um, so I will continue to produce records by the most obscure um, bands and, you know, from the most obscure countries. Well, wow, a lot there. Quickly, I want to... Um, I I love the sentiment too. The documentary you mentioned, did I get it right? Is it Rodrigo D. No Future Alert? Futuro, yeah, it's just it's Futuro. in Spanish, so yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm butchering the pronunciation, but yeah, Rodrigo D. No Futuro. There's not much dialogue in it, mm -hmm. and I think somebody uploaded the entire thing to YouTube so anyone can watch it. If not, you should be able to find it somewhere. It's a very well-regarded documentary of the, that scene. Um, I think it was made in 1988, and uh, there's even a soundtrack record that goes with that movie, which is worth exploring as well, because it has lots of exclusive tracks from bands from that time period, uh, like Blasphemia, Sacrificio, and, and, and uh, so one side is all metal, and one side is all punk from that time period. Yeah, Rodrigo de Mil Futuro. Everyone should watch that. Okay, um, fair enough. And th yeah, there's been this like uh, uh, rush of books exploring mainly the, the the late '80s, early '90s European scene for the most part. The last mm -hmm. several years, for the just quickly for the listeners, I have I'm right in front of my bookshelf in my office here. I, I believe I I got this from you a while back. The Mexican oh, yeah. Underground. You do procure books that explore scenes that maybe aren't written about as much. Just for the listeners who might want to check that out um yeah we try to carry the ones that i think are good um 
there are a lot of bad ones out there, so it's kind of hard to dodge the ones that are good or <laughs> dodge the ones that are bad. I mean, yeah. and find the ones that are good. So the ones that I would highly recommend, uh, besides the ones that we publish ourselves, the one that I really like right now is United Forces book. Uh, it was published by Brazilian Points, but it was written by a, a Brazilian guy. So Brazilian Points is is an awesome publisher in the U.S. that publishes metal, punk, and underground-related literature. United Forces used to be a zine out of Brazil in the 80s, and it came out around the same time as, you know, all the famous bands from down there, Sepultura, Sarcophago, and then Sire Cogamelo scene that, that formed back then. And uh, it covers pretty much the 80s scene um, up to, like, 89 or 90 or so which uh, were the best years, so it's, it's, it's actually perfect. If you want to learn more about 80s Brazilian metal, you get the United Forces zine book and uh, just study it. That's probably the best resource for that. Um, if you want to learn about the 90s Brazilian scene, then you buy the Zombie Dance book that I published. Um, it was written and uh, produced by Paul Feek of Zombie Dance. Um, zine. Um, it's actually just an issue of his zine. He didn't have the resources to make it into a book, so he asked me to publish it. He usually publishes his own zines, but this one just became a very big and comprehensive book that he wanted to publish more properly, so he asked me to do it. We ended up doing it with, uh, with hardbound or hardcover and uh, Two compilation CDs to accompany the bands or the to accompany the zine. It has one of the bands that are covered in the zine. So it's definitely worth getting. That one's good. Obviously, the Swedish death metal book. Um, that one is one of the best. Everyone knows about the Swedish band, though. I think that one is comprehensive and maybe people know about it because that book came out a while back and it was so well written. So that one was great. Um, I don't know. There, there are other ones that uh, that I can't think of off the top of my head. That that Mexican underground one's good for sure. Did you did, um, did you happen to read the Devil's Cradle about the Finnish black metal scene? Oh yeah, that one was really good too. Yeah, yeah, that one was great. Yeah, in fact, I read the Beharit section very closely because we had to rewrite a biography for them for both records we did. So. For the Oath of Black Blood, I read I read that book, at least the Beharit section, and uh, got a few inform few bits of information from there. Yeah, yeah, interesting um, book. Now, while we're talking about bands that you're you're releasing and and this sort of thing, there's something I wanted to get out of you. Maybe steering back a little bit towards your story, yeah. I understand that the first release. Uh, you ever put out on the label was the Live Ritual Friday the 13th Blasphemy Live record. What I didn't r realize until reading today, you actually drove up to Vancouver and recorded it yourself, kind of mm -hmm. old school style, and that, that's where you met the band? or? Yeah, well, I, I knew the band, or at least Ryan Forster, who was in the band at the time, and he still is. Um, he was in Conqueror before that, so I knew Ryan Forster, from Conqueror and Blasphemy before going up there. Uh, it wasn't me that drove up there. I flew up there. Um, Ryan Allen from LA 
friend of ours and friend of Blasphemy's. He actually took the bus all the way up there from Los Angeles. I think it was like 36 hours or something. Wow. One way, he took the bus up there. And then uh, right after the gig, he got back on the bus and went went home. He just didn't have the money to stick around. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, Blast for me has a diehard following, and uh, it really shows when people do stuff like that. I flew up to Vancouver. I got lucky because I was traveling for my work. Uh, I think it was a few, few months before the Blasphemy gig, I was, I was traveling to Chicago for my work, and my flight got canceled, so whatever airline it was, they were nice enough to give me a voucher for a plane ticket anywhere in the, in the North American continent, and I saved it, and I got lucky that Blasphemy was playing a gig uh, around then. It was July 13th, 2001, so I booked my flight and went up there. I asked them if I could record on my handheld uh, mini disc player, and they said it was okay. So I recorded that, and that eventually turned into the live ritual record that um, that sort of started a label. Before then, I was just doing like stupid tapes and just projects of um, me and my friend Jason. Yeah. So number four. Anti-Goth number four was the Blasphemy Live Ritual record, and that pretty much started NWM. One thing I wanted to ask you about working with Blasphemy, um, especially with like the very close relationship you seem to have fostered with them through the years, mm-hmm. is um, there's there's infamously that story of them allegedly going down to California and going to the Wild Rags Records um, uh, yeah. store and allegedly taking things there was some sort of uh dispute over a business deal do you feel that maybe that they were skeptical of record labels after that and that you had to kind of win them over was there any, anything like that um perhaps that was the case i don't know i mean there was also osmos in between me and uh and you know wall rags mm-hmm. first it was wall rags and they sort of got burned by uh, Wild Rags. Um, and then they signed Osmos. I don't know the story with Osmos. I think that was perfectly fine. Um, and then I came along in the early 2000s, or 2001 to be exact, and started working with them. So, yeah, I mean, it actually took a while for me to reissue Fallen Angel Doom. For a while, they didn't want to do it. So I kept on talking to Caller the Storms. I would talk to them on the phone, and then we struck up the deal. And after that, everything was cool. Um, the The goal with everything right now with Blasphemy is to just keep everything in print. You know, once in a while we press it so that it doesn't go out of print. Um, I think I, I'm a firm believer in keeping good music in print. I think every label should do that. Uh, if it's good, it should be kept in print. We shouldn't do any, um, you know, out of out of print cult that I I really dislike. I, I feel like some bands uh, foster this mysterious imagery on purpose by creating this false sense of cult status because their stuff is hard to get. Um, I really dislike that. I think a lot of new bands tend to do that just because they're you know, making shitty music. So the music should stand on its own, you know, it should be readily available in all formats if possible. At least vinyl format should not go out of print if the music is good. Now, there are, you know, 
financial limitations to every business operation. So it's not like you can just press everything all the time, but it's possible. <laughs> I think good music should be kept in print, you know. And I think labels are starting starting to catch up with that. You know, Peaceville keeps all the Dark Throne in print, all the autopsy in print. And it seems like ERH does the same thing with Morbid Angel, Maple Death Carcass. Um, Nuclear Blast is not very good at keeping their back catalog in print for some reason. So they'll, they'll sometimes repress, you know, Essential by Hypocrisy. Sometimes they'll repress, you know, other records, but... Um, I don't know why they don't keep the section in print. It's very weird. Maybe it's some sort of a legal uh, dispute with the band members or their family. Um, yeah, like Plastic Head is now refreshing all the uh, Bathory stuff, but not the rest of the Black Mark catalog for some reason. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh, strange. I guess. Well, in in dealing with this sort of thing, I mean, I guess it could get complicated when you want to reissue something that was once issued on a label in the '90s and that has since been defunct. And no, you know, right. like you you have to track someone down. I guess on the internet who probably does isn't even involved in the underground scene anymore. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the underground, so contracts were usually written or not even written. So if a contract doesn't exist with an old label, then that makes it easy. But even then, you know, if a contract contract exists, there's probably a clause in there that says if the the business goes defunct and they don't pay the band for X number of years, then the rights revert back to the band or something. Usually there's some sort of uh, clause that the bands are uh, able to get their rights back at some point. So it's not the end of the world when that happens. Um, yeah, so yeah, it hasn't been too bad um, licensing music from bands directly. It's usually like you know limited pressings because it's it's not that big of a band. It only requires huge pressings. Um, you know, bands like Immortality and EKG completely underground, like even unknown to the diehardest of you know Eastern European metal. I just found one member by dumb luck. I don't even know how I found him. Oh, it was, um, I remember now, uh, a member of Kaixal from Portugal did an interview with one member, and he told me about this band that sounded like Tor and Master's Hammer, so I was very intrigued. He let me listen to it. It was super killer, uh, very well produced even. And so he got me in touch with the band, and. Uh, yeah, and got me the the rights to reissue them, but that those were like two hundred and fifty copies or something. Um, I don't think we did more than two hundred and fifty copies because they were so unknown. I think I read that the Vaughn reissues were also because you kind of ran into somebody. Um, like yeah, I mean, no, that one. Um, I actually, I tracked them down. So okay. back then, I was living in the Bay Area. Um, I remember the exact moment. So. In the early 2000s, you know, not everyone was switched over to emails, and not everyone was online. So, especially older guys, you know, they were they were um, slower to convert to the digital world. And you know, back then I was in my 20s, so I was better better versed in the in technology, maybe. Maybe that's not the case so much anymore, but back then I was, you know, 
using the highest and technology that, that was available from shitty dial-up or something. But at least I had the internet. Um, so it's not like it is now. Like You can't just track down members or people on, online. You know, Now you just look for people on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn or something. It's very easy to find people. Everyone's almost always connected in some way. So that was that was not the case back then. So back then I was living in South South uh, San Francisco, and uh, one day I was talking to Chris Reifert. Um, oh no, you know what it was? I never talked to Chris Reifert. I wrote a physical letter to Chris Reifert from autopsy. He was in Benicia, California, which is like a on the other side of the suburbs from South San Francisco. So on the other side of the bay, uh, like hour and a half from South San Francisco. So I, I wrote to him one day because I knew that he was friends with Joe um, from Vaughn. So that was Kill from Vaughn, the bass player uh, who played on Satanic Blood and Blood Angel demos. And um, he wrote back and said, yeah, I know Joe. He uh, he plays an access with us. So then I got Joe's address, wrote a letter to Joe, and I asked him about Vaughn, and that's how the connection to Vaughn came about. I was able to find a member of Vaughn that way. And, uh, yeah, we met at a restaurant, I remember, and we talked, and we came up with a deal that worked, and that's how that went down. Um yeah, that was like the very old school way of connecting with people. It was either letters or phone only, no emails back then. Only people in the corporate world, world and the people in the education system were using emails in the early 2000s. Um, yeah, have, have you found it? to be kind of a I, I know that there used to be a, a, a like a statement with the label um like analog only uh you were resistant to cds and and that sort of thing for for a time has there been kind of a conflict uh mm. with that all along and even nowadays with social media even with doing something like my podcast i mean is there is there a bit because i i found that myself with with being an underground metal fan have being in bands yeah. do i want to put myself out there on this podcast and and, and all that like, like it's always like this uh one foot in the shadows one foot in the promotion game that i think a lot of people in heavy metal play do you do you feel that in any way uh perhaps i did in the past but i don't feel that way anymore um, yeah, I turn my nose up to CDs and any sort of digital streaming or download in the past, but I feel like this is the reality we live in now. I'd rather have physical media, be it CDs, vinyl, or tapes, or even 8-track, rather than streaming. I don't like streaming because we're at the mercy of the streaming services to change content, even, you know? they. If they or censor, I don't like censorship in any way. So, and this has nothing to do with politics. I just don't like the idea of art being censored by anyone. I don't give a shit if it's the government or the, you know, corporation. I don't want anyone censoring music or art. So, I think having physical media prevents um, the higher powers from censoring. We have the physical media. You can't change it once it's made into a physical media. 
even better when it's like, uh, you know, analog physical media, because even if you scratch a record, you can still play it. If you scratch a CD, chances are it will skip and it won't play. And there's also disc rot issues with CDs pressed in, the, in a certain time period. I don't know if that's still an issue, but that used to be an issue. Um, so, yeah, I feel like the permanence of vinyl, permanence of even old tapes, um, I really appreciate more than digital formats. But it, at the end of the day, as long as the physical media, I support it. Yeah, it almost seems like CDs have gone from being like the black sheep of the the metal collector to now it's almost cool again with the advent of streaming. CDs are like this 90s thing, especially with like the the brutal death metal community that really like came of age in the mid 90s, you know? Mm. Okay. Yeah, I don't know anything about that scene, but it's cool that CDs are making a comeback. I I do see um a slight uptick in CD sales here with NWN. Um it might be because the vinyl prices are kind of skyrocketing right now because the shipping prices have gone up and inflation is out of control. So CDs are kind of like a stable price um, item. It doesn't go, it doesn't fluctuate as much because it doesn't cost too much to ship a CD. It doesn't uh, cost that much to manufacture them. So the prices stick around between 10 and $15 for remote CDs, which is great for, for people with less money. And the other factor might be because tape prices have started to go up as the demand started to outstrip the manufacturing uh, speed. So companies like National Audio Company in, uh, I forgot where they're located. They're somewhere in the U.S. They're, they started to increase their prices. Same with uh, Duplicate um, .ca in Canada. They started to increase their prices over the years. So now it costs more to produce tapes than CDs, which is kind of stupid. Because <laughs> uh, if I had to choose one or the other for an album, I would choose a CD. Um, yeah, I think tapes are great for nostalgia and just for um, tradition of having demos on cassettes, I think that's a good idea. But cassettes were albums. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, I don't know. Maybe somebody will argue with me over that. But <laughs> I I don't want to go down the road. I would argue with you on, on that a little bit. I would just say yeah. I... I I'm a cassette head. I, I mean, I, you see all the CDs behind me. I, you know, you got to collect a little bit of everything sometimes going back. But the one thing I do like about cassettes for album is you can kind of maintain that side A, side B thing that a lot of. Oh, yeah. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, there's there's particulars. I get it. We You know, I don't want to split I I like that aspect of tapes and it's a linear listening experience as it was intended by the artist. So the artist wrote the album as an album, not as individual tracks to be skipped over. So I like that aspect of tape. It's hard to skip over songs. So um, it's kind of like a record. Uh, You have to listen to it in a linear fashion from side A to side B. And if you're a good artist, that's how you design the album, right? start out strong you kind of calm down towards the, you know towards the end of side a and then you pick it up again on side b usually usually you'll find the best song 
at the beginning of the album um, on both sides. So at the very beginning of side A and at the very beginning of side B are usually the best two songs, in my opinion. And then usually the very last song is epic or, you know, hard hitting or something. So it makes an impression on me. That's how very good albums are usually arranged. Um, so anyways, kind of going on a tangent about that. But um, as far as turning my nose up to CDs, that's a thing of the past. I like CDs. Uh, I don't buy too many CDs, but I have a shit ton of CDs. You know, I have a wall similar to yours, except all my CDs. CDs are still in boxes from my move to Texas two years ago. All my records are still in boxes as well. Uh, that's that's more of a problem of just not having time left. Well, well, maybe this is a good point to talk about Helios Press. Uh, yeah. Your plans for that. I would imagine dealing with outside manufacturers and fluctuating costs plays into your desire to do that. Yeah. Um, during the pandemic, especially, the prices fluctuated, wait times fluctuated, quality fluctuated, uh, communication fluctuated. Everything was in flux, and uh, it was a very frustrating time period for all the record labels out there. Um, we all hated the pandemic for that reason. The other, the flip side of the coin is that record sales were through the roof during the pandemic because everyone was stuck inside getting free money from the government. So it was great for sales, except we couldn't press records fast enough. So, you know, I, I dealt with it by just buying as much as I could from other labels um, and just reselling. So I really grew my distro in, in the, you know, 2020 to 2021 span. It was actually very, very good. It started to calm down after that, but, you know, I was able to, I was able to move during the pandemic because um, the company that I was working for, they allowed remote work. Uh, so, you know, I don't bitch about the pandemic so much because I got to move to Texas the business was doing very well. The only annoying thing was we couldn't press records. Uh, but yeah, now I'm trying to change that so that we don't run into that problem anymore. As much as we can. I mean, there are factors that we can't, we cannot control, even if we have a factory. So, um, for example, if the PVC supply chain breaks down from Italy or Thailand or wherever else they come from, um, then that could really hinder us in the production timeline. So, you know, we don't control everything, but at least we can control labor and the time we spend on the presses. Um, but yeah, just about Helios. Helios, uh, in case people don't know, Helios is a brand new pressing plant that me and my business partner are starting in Texas. We're trying to open it towards the end of this year. We're going to do a Kickstarter starting March 1st. We'll offer a bunch of goodies um, for pre-order, uh, like limited edition records that people may want with specialty packaging, T-shirts, and whatnot. So it should be a pretty fun campaign once it starts. Uh, we're chipping away at the GUI right now. There's a lot to fill out and a lot to, uh, you know, um, in terms of visuals and whatnot. Yeah. 
and this is something that you're going to you're going to I mean obviously it's going to benefit nuclear war now but you're going to mm-hmm. work with other underground labels and bands um uh, yeah. and, and act yeah, as a so manufacturer yeah it, i think it might be confusing because i'm using the nwn platform to uh promote helios but that's just you know means to an end because i that's the only um audience i have it's going to be a completely separate business from NWN. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not even the, the the only owner, so I have a business partner. Uh, my friend Greg is my business partner. We're 50-50 partners. So, you know, his interest isn't in NWN. Mine is in NWN plus Filios. So the goal is to produce records for NWN plus anyone else who wants to press with us. So if we have capacity to press records, we'll be pressing for other people for sure. And the goal in the long run is to grow the business and um, make it sustainable, even without NWN pressing there. So initially, we'll um, perfect the art of pressing records by pressing NWN records. And from there, we'll branch out and market ourselves to other labels. We like to work with independent labels and bands um, just because... I think ideologically, I prefer to work with them, you know, over corporate labels. Um, but I'm not opposed to working with uh, bigger labels. I just don't want them to take up all the the press time because that's a problem that I I want to try to get away from because um, I've had to experience that myself. It sucks. Mm. Yeah, you know, you go to an enormous factory. And all the capacity is taken up by Taylor Swift or some other bullshit. I definitely don't want to deal with that, you know. Um, it would be like living in hell if I had to press like 50,000, I don't know, Taylor Swift or some Red Hot Chili Peppers records for days on end. Just imagine. Yeah, well, that, I, I mean, I was going to, I wasn't even going to ask this question because I felt like you answered it before. Um inadvertently i was going to say with the day-to-day business and and dealing with you know the the money the taxes all that stuff how do you keep the magic in metal as you know like as a young you know the young fan in you the collector and but you kind of answered that already with the bands you seek out and speaking about all these obscure bands i mean imagine having to press taylor swift and all that stuff you're kind of in that position then like like a guy who owns um guy who opens up a record store and he ends up having to push all that sort of stuff to just to keep the door open it's you know it's like a catch-22 well I'm a practical person. I I look for practical solutions to things. Um, I got to this point in my NWN career by sacrificing and having two jobs. So, you know, it, we do what we need to do to live in this world. You know, we don't live in a utopia where you can just do whatever you want and pay the bills. Unfortunately, or fortunate, whatever the case, you know, we have to pay for bills. So I kept my job for 20 something years. And like, luckily, I was able to quit that job last year and focus on NWN. But even as part of NWN, you have to do stuff. You know, we have to do a lot of business related stuff that's just part of running a business. You know, every business, if it exists in the US or in a Western country, we have to pay taxes, we have to file taxes every month, sales tax and, you know, quarterly tax. And we have to do all these things as part of running a business. It's just the reality of things. We're all adults. We have to do adult-like things that are not something you want to do, you know. 
So I don't really see it as a problem. Um, I, I, I'm going to go on a tangent here, but I think it kind of relates to your question of doing things outside of what you want to do. It's not all just about metal. So I purposely do things in my, in my daily routine that is kind of a pain in the ass, to be honest. Um, so I try to do them in the morning because I feel like if you do hard things in the morning, the rest of the day just feels better. Um, this is just a mental trick that a lot of people use, and I started to do it um, last year. So the first thing I do when I wake up at 6 um, is to put on my shoes and put on my clothes and then run outside. I have a hill next door that I can run up. So in order to get the blood flowing into my brain, I just run as fast as I can for as long as I can. And it only takes like five minutes of my day, but it really sucks when the, you know, when the outside temperature is like 30 degrees or something. And this, and like nobody wants to wake up before seven a.m. I don't care who you are. You know, I don't, I could, I could sleep eight hours and still not want to wake up at six. I'm, I like sleeping. So I force myself to get up, run as fast as I can just to get the blood flowing. And then I come back to the house and jump in the shower, but I jump in the shower cold. So I use cold water. In the winter, it's really fucking cold. So I do these two things first thing in the morning because I feel like now taxes ain't shit, you know. Mm. <laughs> Doing paperwork for NWN isn't anything. It's just it's it's <clears throat> annoying, but it's it's better than jumping in the shower <laughs> with icy cold water. So uh, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I feel like that sets the tone for, you know, the other stuff that people need to do in life, um, including myself. Yeah, that was a very convoluted way of answering your question, but no, uh, I think you get the point. I don't think so. I think people can even learn from that, getting out of your comfort zone um and and putting putting the hard work first. Uh, you know, there, there's definitely something to be said for that. With with that being said, I know from what from my research, you you work seven days a week, uh, like eight or nine hours at the minimum at at your warehouse uh, slash record yeah. store there, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say work in quotes because, like I said, doing the the boring work of paperwork, taxes, all the business stuff that you have to do is just part of it, you know. A lot of it is actually awesome, and it's it's something that I've always wanted to do. I get to listen to records, you know, pretty much the entire day. I could be listening to records if I wanted to. Um, I interact with bands that I grew up listening to. You know, how many people can get emails from, you know, Holocausto, Beherit, you know, Gazal of Sabbath? These are all, like, heroes that really influenced my outlook in life you know they really uh influenced my artistic uh taste so i'm talking to these musicians that i really look forward to almost every day and and of course like the newer younger musicians as well they they give me the strength to continue going um i don't really see it as work it's more of a just a life's calling or something 
uh, I really enjoy what I do. So what's the what's the trope? You know, if you if you like what you're doing, you never work a day in your life or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. that's essentially applicable to what I do every day. I don't work it. I don't work. I just I'm at the warehouse every day, and um, you know why? Okay. So the only thing that's not good is that um, I don't see my family too much. So that's that's one thing that I should probably uh, change in my life. I I tend to concentrate too much on this aspect of my life, which I love. But I love my family as well. So I, I need to probably juggle that a little bit better going forward, especially since we were expecting another kid. Yeah. Have you ever had any issues with just the name of the label being misunderstood or being like a red flag for somebody somewhere, even with authorities or something? Yeah, I'm actually dealing with that now. I think I'm getting shadow banned. I mean, this is just my, this is just my um, uh, paranoia, maybe. But I feel like Instagram, Facebook flagged me because uh, because of the label name, and I'm I'm unable to buy ads right now for some reason. But but the crazy thing is, you'll see. ISIS buying ads on Facebook and other terroristic groups buying, you know, ads on Facebook. So I might have just gotten snagged by some stupid uh, Facebook, Instagram algorithm. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, the label name, I always tell people, don't buy, don't, don't write the label name when you send me stuff. You know, it's going to get, it's going to get confiscated by the post office and, and they're going to open them if you do that. So just abbreviate, um, I'm registered under NWN Productions LLC. You know, obviously, nuclear or now just sounds too scary for most people. But in fact, it's not. It's a. Uh, it's. It's kind of an ironic name that I chose uh, because I'm from Japan. We're the only nation that got nuked by the U.S. twice. So it's supposed to represent my nihilistic side which is very much suppressed at this point because i'm 48 years old and i i'm pretty stable but as a young kid i was more nihilistic you know i was really uh into punk rock and i didn't think i was going to live past 40 to be honest uh i didn't do any drugs or anything and i i lived a pretty normal life but you know mentally i was pretty nihilistic i contemplate suicide and you know i was very self-destructive at some point in my life so nuclear one hour is just supposed to represent that youthful nihilism that most people experience somewhere in their life you know so it's not a declaration for war or something and i took the name from throbbing gristle uh, a very famous industrial noise artist from the uk they had an album called Mission of Dead Souls, I think, from San Francisco. It was recorded in San Francisco, and it was supposed to be their very last album or live album. But inside that CD cover, uh, the main guy, Genesis, he's wearing a T-shirt that says Nuclear War Now. So that's where the, the label name came from. Um, again, I think that was supposed to represent his nihilism, if not... You know, it wasn't like a serious declaration for war or something. Um, yeah. And, we, you know, like I said, the irony now is I'm very much 
a life lover. I really like my life. <laughs> I really like my family, and I try to live a very positive lifestyle. I try to work out and stay healthy and eat well. Um, so I'm kind of like the opposite of this total nihilistic uh, teenager that that I was trying to convey with Nuclear War Now. I can definitely relate to being over 40 and trying to reconcile those kind of youthful, nihilistic, uh, edgy feelings. It's um, mm-hmm. as as you you know as you turn into one of the people that doesn't leave metal behind, uh, you know, with your youth, and you try to stay within the scene and stay at you know motivated within the metal scene. As an older person, it it is it's something you have to kind of come to terms with. I don't know. It, it I definitely understand what you're saying. Yeah, but I mean, just because you listen to Motorhead doesn't mean that you have to live like Motorhead. You know, yeah. I mean, they had some some fucking seriously crazy songs about pedophilia, you know. Uh, I mean, in the song Road Cruise, Lemmy's talking about sniffing glue. So just because you listen to the music doesn't mean that you need to, you know, duplicate the lifestyle, the musicians or the lyrics that are expressed, you know. It doesn't make sense. Like, just because you listen to Cannibal Corpse doesn't mean that you need to smash somebody's face with a hammer. Or, you know, they have a song called She Was Asking For It about rape. You know, we're not going to go around raping women just because we live in the cannibal courts. So I find it funny when people play this uh, guilty by association game that a lot of, you know, young people like to play, especially in 2024. Um, you know, I always find it funny. Like, you you got you got a Slayer patch on. <laughs> you know, do you, do you really like mass murderers? Yeah. It's just, uh, it's just a funny thing. It's it's all art to me, you know. Art is supposed to represent emotion or an atmosphere, and obviously those bands are trying to create both. And uh, I don't really need to uh, live the lifestyle in order to appreciate the art. Yeah, um, there's there seems. Like, you know, black black metal especially. Like, you know, you talk about Cannibal Corpse, and then it's like even a Cannibal Corpse fan attacked might say, well, what about a horror movie or Stephen King, right? It's like there's always that example. Black metal, it seems, there's this expectation almost... I, I mean, I could almost parallel it with, like, gangster rap where, like, they have to live yeah. it. They have to really be dark and dangerous or there's this lack yeah. of authenticity that's perceived, you know? it's Yeah, no, that's definitely true, and I think you're... Your analysis of both the movies being a separate type of art where people people who watch movies, you know, don't call you a Nazi just because you watch some World War II movie, you know. Whereas with music, if there is some sort of a German World War II theme going on, like Marduk, for example, they get attacked for, for using that kind of imagery. I find it very interesting because... So you make, a, you know, you make this exception for movies, but not for music. Music is is like off limits or something. I don't really understand the distinction too much. How people, you know, draw the line. Like for movies, anything goes. You can depict any scene, any sort of political movement, anything. Um, even you could even make a movie about World War Two that was slightly pro Germany and present it as art. Um, not propaganda, but art, 
and then it will be okay. They might show it at the can, you know, awards or something. Uh, but Marduk using World War II imagery is off limits. So yeah, there's that weird disconnect between different types of art. So um, I don't know how it applies to visual art. Maybe they don't get a slack because of the way that it's perceived. Yeah, it's like all about perception, you know. For movies, people can uh, really distance themselves from what's what's on the screen. But for, for music, for some reason, people just can't. Um, and then, yeah, black metal versus death metal specifically, that point is very, very interesting because, yeah, in black metal, authenticity and living that lifestyle is taken as a positive. And maybe that's because when the Norwegian scene was coming up, and it's like more more specific to the Norwegian scene because that's, Euronymous and those guys really preached living the lifestyle and kind of distancing themselves from the, you know, jogging pants, death metal, as they called it, you know, life metal, regular life metal and like skateboarders and uh, regular clothes wearing people. Although I think most people from that time period are probably just like normal dad bod at this point. So that's, I mean, that's the irony of that. You know, how many of those people are still living the lifestyle? Uh, I think at the end of the day, um, as you grow older, you realize if you live that lifestyle, you're not going to be around for very long. You're just going to die because you just can't. Um, you'll just, you know, you'll overdose on drugs or you might end up in prison. Same with the rappers. I think it's, I think that analogy is very similar. Um, but even in the rap scene, I, I don't think most of those people are actually living the lifestyle that they, they sing about, you know. They just get more props if they do. <laughs> just like in black yeah. metal. Publicity. Um, you, now, I, I've read you refer to yourself, um, uh, you know, in terms of spirit, your your personal beliefs as uh, agnostic or or an atheist, um, somewhere along those lines, I, I you know I don't want to get into a whole discussion about what you may feel, but here's my with all the bands you've worked with, the shows you've been to, the traveling you've done, have you ever experienced uh, or, or interacted with people who believe in the occult? Have you ever um, uh, uh, delved beyond what your average metal fan might normally you know know about these artists and that sort of thing? Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I mean, plenty of uh, plenty of metal musicians dabble in the occult, and I don't know to what extent they take that stuff seriously, but they definitely dabble in it. I myself just can't, you know. I'm, I guess, I have too much of a scientific brain or something, or maybe my scientific education prevents my brain from accepting certain um, metaphysical belief systems. I, I. I think as I get older, I'm starting to realize that, you know, science is just a made up, just a human made construct or just uh, a system for learning about the universe. And we don't know a lot of things and we may never know a lot of things. So, and I do feel, I don't want to use the word spiritual, but when I'm in an environment where, um, I feel smaller than the universe. I tend to get, um, I don't know what the word is, but I guess spiritual feelings, you know, 
for example, on my last trip to the Alps, uh, Italian Alps, we were on the top of this enormous mountain with, you know, snow everywhere. I felt a sense of ease that I never felt before, a uh, sense of inner peace that I never felt before. I think, you know, Japanese people in particular have Shintoism as their background, and that religion is not really based on specific deities. It's more nature-based. Um, and they perceive certain areas as being holy. So whenever you see those red gates, you know, in Japanese photographies, or like, um, yeah, yeah, like pictures of Kyoto or something, Kyoto, Japan, and a lot of Shinto shrines, you see these red gates. It just means that on the other side of that gate is holy. So usually it just... It's just it resides in nature in the middle of nature you'll see this gate so they they see nature as something uh spiritual and holy and there's something special about it uh i think that that's as far as i'll take the religious belief system i can't get past that it's hard for me to start believing in like name gods and you know this place has this is this exact spirit and all this stuff just seems like it's made up mumble jumble to me. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that's just my take on religion. I, I'm no longer atheistic. Maybe I'm somewhere between an atheist and an agnostic person. Uh, I do believe that humans have limitations in what we can perceive and learn. So I'll leave it at that because I don't know any other answers. Fair enough. Um, I, I just want to touch on that. And so, something that seems to be happening now is society anywhere, you know, in, in the United States here, it seems like a lot of people in society are rejecting traditional religion, Christianity, evangelicalism, Catholicism. Mm -hmm. A lot of younger people are not taking that from their parents and grandparents. The churches right. are losing members. Do you think that the demonic, the satanic imagery mm -hmm. and concepts in heavy metal might lose value? And that's why people are pushing towards even more extreme things like uh, extreme politics and um, uh, uh, e e like even more mm. um, l like, I guess you could say, earthly kind of uh, uh, criminal things, you know, things like that. Terrorism. Yeah, that could be the reason. I mean, yeah, okay, so to address your first statement about society moving away from um, religion, so I think uh, Nietzsche foresaw that back then when he said God is dead. You know, I, I think we're, what he was saying was that's the death of religion, what's going to replace it next? But humans have this brain of needing some sort of a infrastructure, some sort of an operating system within society. So they start looking for other things. So they worship politics. You know, you see this religious tendencies on the left and right in worshiping uh, politicians or some sort of some sort of political belief system becomes the replacement for religion. That's very common in today's society as religion starts to leave. Mm -hmm. I'm not Christian, but I don't have any problems with Christianity per se, especially for the sheep class. People who don't think need some sort of an infrastructure in their life. So, you know, while I don't like 
uh, organized religion, especially Christianity, Islam, Judaism, all these are shitty religions to me. Um, I see the need for Christianity on the West. This is a very weird thing for a black metal person to say, but I feel like the reason why we're seeing this turmoil in society, this division of people from the left and right, why we can't see humanity um, beyond the political belief system is because the political belief system is now replacing religion. And I would much rather have um, not not like a fanatical Christianity, but sort of what we had in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, where people were semi-religious, you know. And when I say people, I mean the the non-thinkers, the herd mentality, the sheeples. These people need religion to operate in this world. They need that operating system because without it, the operating system that comes in is usually politics, and that fucking sucks. Uh, that just creates more division in the world, and I think the, the political turmoil and this general turmoil we see, in the, especially in the U.S., is created by this lack of religion. So if I had to choose, um, I would rather have the sheeples be Christians than atheistic and, uh, you know, politically charged tribalists. I don't want that. I mean, dealing with tribal, religious, uh, politically charged people on the left and right, you know, I get shit from both sides. I hate it. I would rather just deal with Christians who don't like the fact that there is like a baffle man on the cover of a record. I know how to deal with those people, you know? It, things were a lot more simple for heavy metal when that was the dynamic. I yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. we, I mean, we're both old enough to remember like Tipper Gore coming after metal, you know, and rap music or whatever. I like that time period because it was like, yeah. we're in the underground, we're creating something dangerous to this larger society. But now, it, like you said, that that's no longer taboo. I mean, like, this like satanic imagery stuff is in the in the mainstream now that's like that's what the rappers put on their shoes or something you know <laughs> it's like that's that's the norm for society so yeah like you said now people are like extreme metal bands are now looking for the next dangerous thing and sometimes it's like right-wing politics or sometimes it's extreme left-wing politics but it's the same exact thing that they're doing they're looking for the next thing to cling on to that's more dangerous than the previous thing yeah, and then, you know, sometimes it's like extreme gore, extreme violence or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's my long-winded answer again for your simple question. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that, and um, I definitely appreciate that. I, I think you just flipped it for me a little bit. I never really thought of it uh, exactly like that, that people are kind of replacing religion with politics, but it makes sense. Um it's definitely the case. Yeah, if you look around yeah, society, yeah. that's exactly what's happening. And, and because humans have evolved to come up with some sort of a belief system, they need it's an operating system, right? To operate in the world, you have to have certain scaffolding of belief systems. And 
it used to be that it was Christianity. People had Christianity as the baseline for the belief system. And, uh, you know, people started thinking and was like, ah, this just doesn't make much sense. But, you know, I'll still cling on to it because it's like part of the family value system. And, uh, you know, my entire family was Christian, so I'll just go along with it. And that kind of was like the 80s, in my opinion. The 80s mm-hmm. was kind of like that, you know. Even metalheads were going to church sometimes. Now, I don't think anybody goes to church. Um, I live in Texas where Christianity is still kind of strong. But, you know, even around here, around Austin, it's mostly atheists, you know. Um, so, yeah, I think the sheeples, I don't mean the metalheads or the critically thinking people. I think critically thinking people can determine an operating system uh, for themselves for the most part, you know. Um, we might be operating on the fumes of Christianity, maybe, from an ethical perspective, but we don't need to have a God or a Jesus to operate in the world. But I can see other people, you know, um, the sheeples of the world who are screaming at their TV screen because some politicians on the screen in either direction. I just don't see that as a healthy move for society. I would, I would much rather have them screaming at a satanic record than yeah. some politician. It was definitely better when people were just watching Jeopardy every day and kind of autopiloting through church on Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, most people. Most, know, yeah, I, most people. I have this cynical yeah. sense of most people. Most of the populace are sheeples. And that's how society should be kept, in my opinion. Not everyone is equal. Um, they're the hierarchy to how humanity forms within society. So you have people who are more productive to- towards the top, and then you have the, the middle-tier sheeple that should go to church so that they have some sort of you know, structure in their life. And then there are people towards the bottom committing crime, and they're just scumbags. And that's just how the society kind of structures itself. But right now, the middle sheeples are now losing religion. And that's not a good thing for Western society, in my opinion. I think we should. <laughs> well, on, on that point. Yeah, the black metal are advocating for Christianity to be reinstated for the sheeples. Although, I mean, it. well, you, you, you make sense, though. You sell it. I, I will say that. Um, and on that point, though, you also have like this. Uh, I, 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 t- you know, we deal a lot more with death metal and grindcore on this show. I do love black metal and try to keep that in the mix as well. But now, as you know, there's a huge influx in the bigger, more um, uh, popular death metal scene. Death metal people coming back yeah. and kind of uh, riffing on bull thrower and obituary, younger bands. It's it's right. exploded. People, yeah. Big huge metals. Death metal is everywhere. A lot of yeah. a lot of older bands are benefiting from it, um, having kind of a, a you know a, a second jump at it and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, what you just said, I mean these these the gore and the Satan, it's not as shocking anymore. Maybe kids are getting into this that 10, 15 years ago, and another generation would have been turned off by it. Do we lose some sort of um, uh, artistic purity there? Is there something that's lost in metal because it's become so big? And do you see it kind of naturally going back down again? 
Perhaps. I mean, you know, I'm on the label side, distribution side, so I see everything coming in. Uh, definitely the current trend or what whatever's popular right now is old school death metal. Uh, and I think that's a, that's the case because a lot of people aged out of hardcore music and punk yeah. music, and now they're discovering death metal. I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a natural step from hardcore and punk, because that's the path that I took as well. So I think a lot of those uh, bands that are coming up now are actually ex-hardcore musicians or hard punk musicians playing death metal. Yeah. I get that feeling just because of the... Yeah. The fact that they popped out of nowhere, and I, you know, I don't know what other bands they were playing in, but they're very proficient at their instrument. Tells me that they had a musical career, a short one maybe, right before they formed their death metal band. So I see a lot of these bands coming up like that. It's not a bad thing. Uh, we need fresh blood in the scene. Um, as long as you know they don't they don't dilute, I guess the I don't know. And what I like about death metal and black metal and thrash metal, heavy metal, just metal in general is that we don't really give a shit. You know, at least the, the previous generation just didn't give a shit. We, we didn't, we didn't get offended. So as long as they don't bring that kind of attitude to metal, I don't care who's making it. I don't care if they were previously into hardcore music, but if they start getting offended at things, I, I think that would be a bad thing for the entire scene. Yeah, there's um, there's a big cross pollination now. A lot, a lot of them are. I've done a lot of interviews with younger bands. A lot of them were in hardcore bands. <laughs> um, well, here's something that I wrote down that I was thinking about is like the the you know black metal. Um, I'm I'm 42. I got into more underground stuff in the mid to late 90s. I'm not like an OG who was there tape trading with Max Cavalera and Euronymous, all right? But I've I've done my homework. I know a little bit about the history of black metal and that sort of thing. The inherent kind of uh darkness and um uh, uh, against the grain nature of black metal, it seems really weird that nowadays people are trying to inject it with like very modern progressive ideals, but keep some of the aesthetic of like the the hooded cloak occult. It's it's a really weird incongruent type of type type of um. Uh, I guess you could say style. I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. You know, regardless of how you be, feel about yeah. the, the politics. Of, you I, know. I feel that any sort of um, injection of politics into metal of anything just becomes pretty boring very quickly. So it could be left or right politics into death or black metal or thrash metal, whatever the case. I feel like that gets outdated very quickly because it's politics of that time period or ideologies of that time period. You know, like, uh, what's that one band with Surf Nicaragua? Um, what is that band? I almost feel like whenever I see that record, um, well, Sacred Right, Sacred Right had a record called Surf Nicaragua. So that was like, talking about the, the conflicts in Nicaragua in the 80s. Whenever I see that, you know, I just wonder if younger kids now, when they see that, they, do they have any sort of historical context to understand yeah. that statement, you know? Um, or, or like, 
uh, At War from uh, from Virginia Beach. They had an album called, uh, I think it was called Retaliation Strike or Retaliation or something. And, uh, and I, I think on the first album, Order to Kill, they had a song called Fuck Qaddafi, you know? And Qaddafi is dead now. Um, I wonder if kids listening to that really understand the context. That's why, I mean, even even like at war injecting that kind of politics into their music, it just gets outdated and like it goes stale very quickly. When people read the lyrics, it doesn't really like make much sense, you know? You know, something I was going to ask on that note of people getting into punk and hardcore and then kind of transitioning to more extreme metal, which is, is somewhat somewhat my path to when I was a kid and a lot of people's. Um, there's a certain I mean, if you if you want to generalize metal, there's all sorts of metal. And like you just stated, there are more politically minded metal bands. But in general, there's a kind of like romantic escapism in metal, um, a, a bigger idea, kind of grandiosity in metal. As opposed to punk and hardcore, which I I do still listen to some bands, I enjoy that scene, you know. Yeah. But but that's a lot more like street level, I, idealistic. Yeah. And as you get older, sometimes those ideals are you know harder and harder to stand by. You know, you you, you question right. things as you experience life. Do you, do you agree with that? I hundred percent agree with that because I came up in the same sort of punk hardcore scene. When I was very young, so I, was, I used to skateboard, I used to listen to Minor Threat, I used to read the lyrics of Minor Threat and take them seriously, you know, I used to basically listen to all the hardcore bands of that time period, and, you know, I took that stuff kind of to heart at the time because I was an impressionable young person with a lot of angst and um, frustrations of a teenager, so it made sense to me, and I think that's why... That's why punk music, hardcore music, appeals to young people. It just seems like more real music than what's on the radio. It's not escapism. It's real. It, it seems real. Um, but the truth is, it's not exactly real either. You know, I don't think those ideals are actually um, possible to achieve. It's kind of the utopian world that they're trying to create through punk music and hardcore music. I don't think those, those, uh, you know, you can try to live up to your lyrics. I think that's honorable. And, uh, some bands do and some bands don't. And that's also fine too. I don't think we're looking for utopia. I think as long as those kids are striving for something better, I, I fully support it. Um, but yeah, as you get older, you start to become a little bit more jaded and you start to see the world differently. Once you get that tax bill, you, see, you know, you start to become a more of a capitalist than a communist, I guess. You know, younger people tend to be more left. Older people, you know, start moving away from that as they as they get older. So I don't I don't I don't I'm not saying that older people become right wingers, but I think they're less left than they used to be when they were younger. Um so I think that progression is perfectly normal. You know, you start out young, impressionable, you know, you want to listen to punk and hardcore and, and really live the punk and hardcore lifestyle, um, read the lyrics and take them to heart. But as you get older, you start to realize it doesn't really make that much sense to be straight edge or even vegan for that matter. I was vegan for 27 years. And I stopped being vegan because I realized this is not really a human diet. 
This is for uh, herbivores and humans are not herbivores. We're omnivores and we're we're designed to consume uh, animal flesh. So, you know, even even 27 years later, this is this is only like a couple of years ago. After 27 years, I, I'm changing my mind. You know, so people evolve over time, um, and they see the world differently over time. And I think that um, that really tracks how people listen to music as well. It makes total sense to me now that that I look back on it. I'm old enough now I can really look back and see how my taste changed over time because of it. Um, but yeah, again, that was a long-winded answer to your simple question. No, I, I appreciate the insight. Um, you know, I didn't expect to get get in this deep now, but I love it when we do talk about these type of things on the podcast. Um, and maybe maybe now to bring it back a little bit, do you still get on a skateboard? Uh, no, I I don't um, for a couple of reasons because I don't want to hurt myself <laughs> and then be out of work. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's, that's one thing. Just practical reasons. And the other thing is, I found another sport that I like now as a 48-year-old. I like calisthenics a lot, and I treat it like a sport. Um, so calisthenics is body weight exercises like pull-ups and push-ups and whatever dips and whatever. So I discovered that at age 40, and I, I kept on doing it. it. I treat it almost like skateboarding because calisthenics is somewhat... Uh, trick based so you can do a lot of things um kind of like tricks on a skateboard you progress from ollieing over a curb dolling over a trash can the kick flips and 360 360 flips and uh yeah i mean there are a lot of things you can do on a skateboard that are trick based uh and calisthenics, calisthenics is similar to that. You start out, you know, maybe doing one pull up, but then you do 10 pull ups and you do 20 pull ups and then you do a muscle up and you do one arm pull up and, you know, handstand push ups. And there's all kinds of stuff that people do uh, that are kind of similar to skateboarding and that you build on your skill set from one to the next. So I guess I never really lost that sort of. Um, passion for individual sports i never really got into team sports but individual sports i always like because you're kind of competing with yourself um yeah it's it's probably uh team sports are probably less metal in a way you know what i mean you got to be the the out the outsider yeah. you know <laughs> um, yeah yeah we're, we're loners we're introverts and weirdos so you yeah know, we tend to like to do stuff on our own i guess um, although I got nothing against like watching football with my friend or something, it's it's fun and also soccer too. Yeah, of, of course. My team, my team sport is um, arguing with my bandmates. Uh, <laughs> but I, you, you've been very generous with your time. Um, I'd lo I'd love to pick your brain all day, uh, but I do want to at least take this opportunity right here just to promote for the listeners. You are booking, is this the first time you're doing the Nuclear War Now um, Hospital Fest in Osaka, Japan with uh, Hospital yeah. Productions? April. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the first one. Um, I've been doing festivals with Iron Bonehead and myself. I did a festival last year in Germany called Never Surrender. That was like half NWN bands and half Never um, Iron Bonehead bands, and we call it Never Surrender Fest, the three-day festival. 
in Berlin. Uh, before that, I did a festival in San Marcos, Texas. And before that, I did a festival in Tijuana, Mexico. So, you know, doing festivals is the thing that we started doing in 2009. We had this idea of label-centric festivals. Um, I think before that, I'm not sure if if they were doing that in the metal scene. Um, I guess Drokar Productions did a did a festival or at least a gig that was centered around bands they were working with. So it's not a, it wasn't like a big thing back uh when we started. I think it's more of a thing now. Um Hell's Headbangers did a Hell's Head Bash. I think Dark Descent Records did a festival in Ireland in cooperation with Invictus. So things are, you know, more common, but when we started in two thousand nine, it wasn't as popular to be label centric festival so we, we sort of created a thing back then um which persists to this day and and uh so the way that the japan thing happened was um dominic from hospital contacted me and we we're chatting about doing some sort of some sort of a gig or something in japan that was half metal and half experimental music or electronic music hospital productions for those of you who don't know they do lots of different types of music including metal death metal black metal uh but they tend to do more noise um electronic music and that sort of thing so completely different world from black metal but there is this undercurrent of underground diy um attitude and ethics that kind of run within all these all these different scenes so we had this idea of combining bringing people together and kind of combining the underground into a metal and noise electronic scene thing um and doing it in japan because japanese people have eclectic taste in music noise is very big in japan you know bands like masano uh sorry uh my my brain is not working Morisbao, um and uh Sorry, I'm kind of drawing a blank, but there are a lot of noise musicians from Japan. I'm not as well versed in noise world as I am in the metal scene. So I apologize to all my noise friends for me. only naming one of many, many bands from there. But anyways, so the idea was to create a gig or a festival in Japan. We started out by just having genocide organ on the hospital side and blasphemy on my side as the backbone and then um looking for a venue we struck out several times in tokyo we contacted a friend in osaka and we found a venue there so the the last thing was you know doing a festival in japan is not cheap so we have to have a crazy a headliner so i asked beherit at the time there were no other gigs uh planned for beherit so when they agreed to playing this festival it was a huge deal for the underground scene because Beherit was also a band that did black metal in the early days. And then they made electronic music and noise music later on. So there was already this, this crossover appeal for Beherit fans. So it made total sense for Beherit to headline both days of the festival, one day doing black metal. And then the next day doing electronic noise set. Um, so, uh, so once the Herit was announced, it was 
pretty much over. You know, we knew that we would be successful because it was the first time that they were playing. I mean, at least at the time, but now they play once in Finland after coming back. And they're, I think they're going to play one more gig before Japan. But at the time of the announcement, it was the only gig. And they hadn't played as a band, like a full metal band, since 93. So, you know, we're talking about more than 30 years after the fact. It was a pretty big deal for the scene when we announced this festival in Japan. Yeah. So it's sold out now. We're very happy with the way that it worked out. And uh, we're really looking forward to the festival. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, that's amazing. Um, I I mean, I, like I said, we're more of a death metal grindcore podcast, but I'm obviously familiar with hospital productions, and mm-hmm. um, I I get that that there's that bleed over, that kind of like under undercurrent of bleed over between what you do and what they do. There's probably a lot of fans and collectors who definitely meet in the middle somewhere there. Um, yeah, I mean, same same thing happens with almost every scene, you know. Yeah. There's an undercurrent of underground activity. In all the scenes, I think there there are crossover appeal uh, appeals to almost all the scenes out there. If it's like underground, um, you know, underground and harsh, I think people tend to like all different types of music. Like just yesterday, I had like a sixty year old couple come in, and they had been into underground music since the seventies. Like they were into throbbing gristle all the way back in seventy nine. And to this day, they've been digging deep into different underground music. They like post, post-punk stuff, and they like noise. Um, they they were into like uh, raw black metal now from Portugal. They were asking for very specific, super underground stuff that only like people like me should know. You know, mm. so like it. So people like that exist, and. And there must be a decent amount of those people because this hospital fest turned out to be extremely uh, successful. So sold out, as you said. Um, yeah, yeah, it's sold out, and uh, yeah, it's going to be a very packed venue. It's, I think the capacity is something like twelve hundred people. You know, it'll be twelve hundred wow. maniacs from different scenes coming together to make this a very successful event. Um, and I think it's going to be a very good thing for city of Osaka and the Japanese scene as a whole, because it's going to have all these international people flying in um, for underground music. All the stores are going to do well. Um, other gigs are happening around that time. They're all going to do really well because underground fans will go to them, right? Like if there's a metal show or a punk show or whatever, they're going to go, you know? I, yeah, I mean, I remember going to the Maryland Death Fest, and some of the restaurants had Maryland Death Fest sandwich specials and things like that. You know what I mean? People, yeah. people love the you know bringing someone into the um, bringing people's wallets into the neighborhood never hurts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a good thing for the scene when there is an event like that. So we're very happy and proud to uh, to have had had this uh, opportunity. It hasn't happened yet, but we're already proud and happy. Well, we, we wish you guys the best of luck with that, um, as well as with the Kickstarter for Helios Press, which is starting up in March. We urge people to follow you guys on social media and check out that. Uh, in addition to that, is there anything else that you want to plug or promote? Any any other ventures you got? I know you got a lot. You always have a lot of irons in the fire. 
Yeah, so, you know, let me spam Helios a bit more. So the Helios Press Kickstarter, as you said, will start March 1st. As part of the pre-order campaign with Kickstarter, we will have several records with specialty packaging. Um, uh, to be more specific, we are doing Blasphemy Fallen Angel Doom on special solar player color vinyl. And we're working on a special um, metal plate jacket that's going to be either printed or etched. We're still trying to figure out the physics behind that to see if, it, if it's possible. So my idea is to have, you know, a metal cover that holds the record. It kind of sandwiches the record. And uh, you have these, like, screws that hold the two metal pieces together. And it's going to be handmade. Um, the whole thing's going to be essentially handmade because we'll be pressing the record, the videos, and then, you know, the the sheet metal is going to be cut and uh, etched by hand, um, either by myself or a manufacturer that we work with, um, and hand-assembled and everything at Helios. Wow. So we'll do Blasphemy, we'll do Goat Lord, we'll do Conqueror, and we'll do Sabbath from Japan. So five records in total. And we'll probably also have uh, an option to buy a test press set or something in a box. Um, if somebody wants to buy all five, we're thinking about making a wooden box that they go into. And like obvious things like t-shirts and totes and patches. Uh, we're also partnering with a friend of mine, Jack Kentrell from Enormous Door. He's running a very good studio that does mastering for bigger labels like Peaceville, Nuclear Black. He's a very experienced person and he's going to lend hand in uh, the Kickstarter campaign and also in running the video press. Um, so, yeah, he's, uh, contributors will have the opportunity to get mastering done by Adonis Door and Um And other, other uh, you know, goodies like uh, Discounts on NWN orders and discounts at Helios Press, stuff like that will be made available to the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, we're working on setting up the GUI for that right now, and we should go live with it March 1st. In addition to that, we're doing a fundraising gig in Austin with Imprecation, Mobile Sadat, uh, Eerie's Kingdom, uh, True Iron Will, and Trench Warfare. That's going to be May 4th. And in conjunction to that gig, uh, we're doing a metal market that same day at Yellow Jacket, um, and that's going to be hosted by Blanco Burning from Los Angeles. They do metal markets over there. She's going to organize that, and uh, we'll make that more public next week, I think. Hmm. All right. A lot so of, a lot of things stuff. that are happening around videos. There are many other things happening around NWN as well. Uh, but, yeah, that's basically it for videos. Yeah, a lot going on, man. Um, like I said, I know you got a lot of irons in the fire there. Uh, our listeners down in Texas, be sure to watch out for that show and go back and check out our interview with Imprecation from several months ago, almost a year ago, probably now. Um, great band. Uh, who you have you you've worked with Imprecation, right? Or do you just distribute their stuff? Yeah, no, I I, I started working with Imprecation uh, last year. We reissued the old compilation yeah. they did on Repulse, so. Yeah, that, and we're going to do a new record together sometime this year, I think. Oh, and one other band that I forgot that's playing the benefit benefit gig is Unholier from Mexico. It's 
a very killer uh, early 90s death metal band. Um, they just had two demos, but they reformed a couple of years back, and they're they're even better than before, I think. Sounds very on brand for, for everything we've been talking about and for the label. Um, with, with that being said, like I said, you've been very generous with your time and we appreciate the discussion. I usually, uh, round out the interviews with this question for everybody. And then obviously I'll give you the opportunity to say anything else you want, promote anything else you want. Could you please recommend for me and the listeners, just, um, one older and one newer release of music, whether it's a demo, an album, metal or otherwise, anything, just something old and something a little bit more recent to listen to no strict rules. Um, I guess since this is a death metal podcast, I, I'll mention one of my favorite death metal albums of all time, and that is Incantation, Mortal Throne of Nazarene, mm. the second album by Incantation, not the first, uh, which is also very, very killer, but I find that the second album has an overwhelming darkness that hasn't been matched to this day, and to me, that's probably the most, uh, I don't know, I guess, darkest death metal album that you can seek out. Um, to this day, I, ha- I don't think they even match their own darkness. They keep on releasing albums, but I feel like they're always trying to catch up with Mortal Kombat and uh, there, there hasn't been a bad Incantation album, but that one in particular always sticks out as the best. Uh, their use of Doom Metal that they... I think they admitted that they got it from autopsy after talking to Chris Reifert. Um, that really, that really makes that album killer. And also the production um, is some of the best in my opinion. I don't like clean production. I feel like clean production usually ruins death metal or black metal. So I want, I want to hear the instruments. It's clean enough that I can hear everything, but it's, it's murky in a way that makes it, Kind of like, uh, I don't know, like Satan coming from through the fog or something. It just has a sense of darkness and fogginess and fuzziness that um, really uh, comes across as something very unique. So I would recommend Mortal Throne Nazarene from Incantation. It's easy to find on CD. I think we last repressed it not that long ago, so you might find it on vinyl as well. Yeah, so that one I'll mention as the older one. So new one, um, I don't like, well, I shouldn't say that, but I don't listen to much new death metal, so this is going to be more of a black metal thing. Um, if you want to hear something slightly different, I would recommend you check out Pike Sal's new album, Kanaga. It's uh, streaming on my Bandcamp page. I feel like this Portuguese one-man band is creating something very special, and it. I can't pinpoint what their um, influences are. You can kind of hear Rodney Price, Verathron, Black Crucifixion, Beherit, Samael, but it's a mixture of all these styles, and he creates something very unique um, and engaging, and you have to listen to it multiple times to really hear all the nuances. It's not overly complex, though. I think it's pretty linear. It's it's not a very angular album. It's um, it flows very well, like an old semi L album or something. But yeah, everyone should check that out. 
uh, if you're a death metal purist, you might not enjoy it, but you know, if you can venture out of the death metal world and you know, listen to something a little bit more clunky and less uh, less concise, I should say, it's very loose music, then you should listen to Kite Cell. I'm sorry, could you spell the band name quickly? Yeah, it's, it's a Portuguese word, it means uh, coffin. So it's spelled C-A-I-X-A. Butchering pronunciations is like a regular part of this podcast with my Long awesome. Island accent, yeah. um, especially when we we speak to people overseas and stuff like that. We try our best, man. It's an international form of music. Um, yeah. So that that being said, I really appreciate your time. It's been an excellent discussion. We'd love to have you back in the future. The door is always open when you have mm-hmm. other ventures to promote, which I'm sure you will. You're a busy guy. Um, that being said, we're going to ask people to check out nuclear war now on, um, nwnprod.com, uh, uh, for the web store and also on social media, the physical store that's three, six Oh seven San Antonio street in Austin, Texas for people who are in the area. Right. It's, it's a open to the public. Yeah, it's a store, metal right? only store. Yeah. We call it Eastern front. And this name came about because we were in East Bay, California, um, we started in East Bay, California, in Oakland, and there was a famous compilation in the 80s called Eastern Front Live at Ruthie's Inn. So we took the name from that because we were in the East Bay, uh, and and also I'm from the East, so it kind of all groups together into a nice name, Eastern Front, and it sounds kind of militaristic as well. So, yeah, we're called Eastern Front Records. On on brand, uh, so yeah, you know, we encourage people who want to do some in person brick and mortar record shopping uh, to to stop by and follow you on social media, like we said, for all the developments going on. And we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, uh, Yosuke of uh, Nuclear War Now Productions. Yeah, no, thank you very much for this uh, in depth interview. I I hope people can get through the entire hour and 40 minutes or so of my <laughs> ramblings. I tend to go on a tangent and um, explore ideas in real time. Um, and they're, you know, I don't know. I mean, all this, all this, all these things that we discuss, I, I, these are things that I always talk about with my wife. That's why, um, that's why I tend to ramble on about them because. They're interesting ideas, you know, especially the the religious one, religion versus politics. I I feel like that's something that the greater society needs to talk about more. And I'm I'm not the first one to come up with this idea, but I feel like in the metal scene, especially, you don't see this. We just see it as like two separate things, but I see it as one. Religion and politics kind of uh, collide with each other and one becomes the other. Yeah, I I agree, man, and um, I'm sure the listeners appreciate 
uh, the, the the perspective and um, how much you were able to, to give today. You know, this is what we do here. You know, we we, we, we talk. There's no, <laughs> this isn't an intro. We're, there's no song coming up, guys. You know, it's a discussion. So that's what we're here for, man. And I really do appreciate it. Uh, and like I said, the door's always open because I'm sure the listeners would love to hear you again sometime when, when you have something else to to um to plug and promote. So um, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Of course, man. And I'm going to go ahead and just give me one second. Thank you to Yosuke from Nuclear War Now Records uh, for that discussion. We appreciate going everywhere he went with us um, and wish him the best of luck in the, the different endeavors that he talked about. Uh, Ian, you're still with me, right, buddy? Absolutely. Excellent, man, because we have an endeavor ourselves this evening uh, to just recommend some new stuff to you guys that's coming out in the world of death metal. Uh, we just talked about enough, I think... Um, obscure and i say that respectfully um you know almost uh you know in in awe of, of of some of the stuff we talked about just there with yosuke uh stuff of the black metal world and the more cult metal world i think right now we're gonna we're gonna steer at home for the heavy hole podcast listeners with the stuff that we're gonna recommend ian i want to give you the um uh the gentleman's head start here you go first man always a gentleman on your end um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so what I've been bringing to the table today is uh, Septage. That's that's the artist. Um, the album I went with was their first demo or EP. It was called Septic Decadence. Um, and when that was released, it was done so independently at first in September of 2020. Um, from what I could tell, about a month later is when it was picked up by Misaka Un Oho Records in the UK. Um, and if you look at their follow-up EP, um, Septic um uh era deck decadence i guess um is the 21 follow-up ep to that and that came through via dark descent records um uh, quick before diving in my quick little blurb about the music itself the cover art is absolutely appalling on this one huh. um i believe it was done by a gentleman that goes by x stefan x if you want to look him up on instagram or socials or anything like that um but completely disgusting there's a lot of gross stuff on that which um lends itself well to where this music sits this is quality gore grind um it's four total tracks it's like sh clocking in i think just under 12 minutes um there is a cover on this as well from a turkish death metal band called death room um that track is titled jeffrey dahmer um if you listen to the original you can find it on youtube um very faithful to the original musically everything except the vocals so the vocals from that original um, are a little bit cleaner to some degree, quote unquote, um, versus like the completely mangled gutturals that that septage, you know, employ over the top of this thing. Um, overall, I think this EP and um, septage at large is like early carcass worship. You know, that's that's where we sit within the, the kind of gore grind that this is. Uh, from a production perspective and the overall like structuring of the composition on this EP, I think it's a little bit reminiscent of Symphony, Symphonies of Sickness, um, but 
I think overall there's like it's very savage still. Like there's this this element there that lends itself to reek of um you know, reek of putrefaction. Um so either way, I think like the the too early stuff from from Carcass is is where they got the uh the influence for this EP. Um and then the only other notes I had two of the three members here, so the the bass and vocals and then also the drums um coming from members that are also in hyperdontia. Um I, I'm gonna butcher his name. Ergi. I don't know if you know it, um, Will, but uh Yul Dirim. Um he's the drummer. Uh, he does the primary vocals for Septage. Um all three members of Septage, it's a three piece from Denmark, um, cover vocal duties, but he's the one that's that's doing the lion's share. Um and he's also in uh Tafos, which uh some of the listeners might be familiar with from Denmark. Um there's a really good live video of them playing some tracks, I think, from this one from Kill Town Fest in Denmark in 2021, if you want to look up some stuff on YouTube. And the only other reason I brought it today is because they do have a debut full length coming out um, March 29th of this year um, from Dark Descent Records. That full length is titled Septic Worship, and there is one, stra- one track streaming from that already called Intolerant Spree of Infesting Forms, Septic Worship. Um, that is streamable now on Bandcamp. So if you want to get in front of their full length, go ahead and check out this demo, the other EP that they put out. Um, if you like Gorgrind, you'll probably be pleased with this one. Yeah, uh, I think you said it all. Um, thank you for that well-researched uh, uh, recommendation right there. Denmark, be, like I, I, when I say becoming, it's not like it happened just yesterday, but Denmark kind of like undeniably now this big hotbed of gore grind and gore grind like bordering death metal though the real brutal stuff um and definitely spot on with the carcass references you mentioned the artwork that's definitely super ugly and the way they kind of took the gore photos and made a collage with it is also very carcass with that early carcass work that art or artwork that got censored um yeah i love this man uh, like that really fine line between brutal death metal like it's it's definitely gore grind, but there's some really brutal kind of death metal elements in here. But I feel like they there's a little bit more. Mm, it's it's hard to it's hard to say this without sounding like I'm trying to diss carcass because I'm not. But I just feel like these guys add a little more ferocity in there, or a little bit more like unhinged energy. Like carcass sometimes on symphonies and and reek, it was a little. Um, the energy was a little stilted. The parts were uh, maybe articulated in a certain way. This band kind of pushes things slightly a little bit closer to the edge uh, in the in their performance, I would say. Without getting too uh, drawn out on that, though, yeah, I think you're spot on with everything you said. This is awesome recommendation. And uh, again, with all this gore grind out there, there's this gore grind resurgence nowadays. This is one of those things where you can look and say, like, this is the, the, the real stuff, I guess, or whatever you want to call it. You know, this is really true. Um, so with that, I'm not going to talk it to death because you, you gave us a lot of information right there. Uh, and, and, um, we appreciate it. So just tell Tom again, one more time, what to plug in, uh, as, as we, we ring this one out. Absolutely. This is Septage and their EP Septic Decades.
something a little bit more, I'm going to say refined, but I think equally ugly in some respects. Um, the new Witch Vomit track that they just put out. Uh, the song is called Blood of Abomination from the Funeral Sanctum LP that's coming out April 5th, 2024. So we've got a few months. Uh, but get in on this one early because this is a cool song and it reflects... A little bit of a different style for Witch Vomit. Ian, are you familiar with with them and, and their older discography? Yeah, the first two. I believe it's the first two I really loved. Um, Buried Deep in a Bottomless Grave. Um, and then the one before that, um, Aberherent Rapture. Um, I, I really liked both those albums. Um, were you in on it as, as well when those came out, Will? Like, did you like these guys from the jump? Uh, well, I'm not going to say it's not like I, I ever disliked them but i they you know there's just only only so many bands i can catch up with and this is a band i was a little late on and i actually a friend of mine recommended this new single so i said i i gotta try witch vomit out people are talking about them all the time and i went back and i listened to some of their older stuff after this because some some a few people had remarked to me that this is a little bit of a change in style for them uh and i thought that was interesting because this is a very it has a little bit more of a refined, melodic, maybe Swedish death metal touch, but there's some mystery in there. Um, and the vocals, I've always heard that they have a sick vocalist. Uh, and, you know, I would like people, you know, some friends have remarked to me, you would like Witch Vomit's vocals, which I do. Um, kind of a guttural, uh, like whis whispery guttural thing that reminds me of some of my favorite old school Finnish bands. And combined with this new vibe that they have on this upcoming album, really hitting a lot of sweet spots for me with what I like in terms of death metal, like a Dramalek, um, bands that sound kind of mist or older amorphous, or bands that sound kind of mystical, have a little bit of a melancholy to them. And then once you throw those guttural vocals on top of that, I'm sold. So I I'm really intrigued by this because especially that it's uh, a little bit of a turn in style for them too. So I want to see where this album goes. Maybe if this is uh, just one of many different styles they experiment with on this album, or if the whole album reflects this theme, uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Maybe we'll try to get them on the show. Um, if you know those guys or if they're listening, man, hit us up, heavyholdpodcast at gmail.com. But, uh, Ian, uh, I'd like to get your input on this. Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, I, I like the band. I've definitely been, like, lockstep with them and what they were putting out from when Very Deep in a Bottomless Grave came out, and then I went backwards to listen to their first full length. When I heard this track right away, I listened before I read anything that they marketed out from 20 Bucks Spins um, site or anything, and instantly I was thinking Dissection. Like to me, this rang true mm -hmm. with like that elk of black and death, or like you know black infused death, um, which was to me a pivot away from what Vich, Witch Vomit had been doing previously in the other full lengths that I listened to. So I very much agree with what you had already noted. Um, I like it. Um, yeah, I I think that they know what they're doing. I think that they're not trying to be like tongue in cheek or like, hey, we don't know of dissection. I think they're very well aware. Um, of what influences they're pulling in here. And, and then when I actually went to 20 bucks band to see what they were saying about it, um, right in their little blurb about like the preamble on this album coming out, they know like dissection as an influence. So I was like, Oh cool. Okay. It sounds like the guys from which vomit are, you know, I don't want to say admitting cause it's nothing to be ashamed of. I think they're acknowledging like, Hey, this is something that we're pulling from. Um, but I'm interested as, as you said, you know, if this is the full album or if this was very much like this one track, um, it'll be interesting to see how, how that pans out. Yeah. Um, and just one more thought I had with this whole kind of, this kind of like shift in style they're doing 
Um, which is, it's not crazy. It's not like they're playing, it's not like they did a swing jazz album. I mean, you know, but it's a little bit different. Uh, it's, I think it would be interesting if more extreme metal bands, uh, I don't want to say switch styled, but, but experimented stylistically or showed different styles on, on different albums. Um, you know, the way like, you know, jazz musicians might put out different themed albums with different variations, you know, of, uh, the different the different eras and styles of jazz hip hop artists, um, you know, we'll, we'll do old school themed albums or, you know, instrumental out, you know, there, there's all different ways you can, you can mix it. R and B artists. There's a lot of different people play, you know, or, or some artists will do a country album a gospel album. I'm not saying death metal bands should do a country album or a gospel album, but the way other people, you know, kind of flirt with different genres, it would be interesting if more metal bands made a quote unquote melodic album, a quote unquote black metal album, a quote unquote grind influenced album. I don't know. Um, that would just be interesting to see if, if, if people did that. So that was just a thought I had too. I wonder, I mean, from your position, Will, do you think that bands, do you think bands ever have issues taking those leaps because they want to remain like true to themselves or if they start to play these identity games, are they going to be like, Oh, well, people are going to think we're posers. Cause you know, that's not who we are. We're an old school death metal band and our knuckles stay on the floor. We don't want to ever pick them up to do anything technical. Or do you think that um, that's not an element of this at all from your position in like active bands? Do you think that, uh, that that plays into it at all? Well, yes, I, it probably does. Um, but that's also like, it's a little bit like, that's, that's, I'm not even saying like, put like to someone who's like, says that like, well, we're death metal and big wills, big will wants us to do a bill Biv DeVoe album. He can kiss it. And like, no, like I'm not, I'm not saying like, even for like a band like that, like, like I'm talking about bands, like maybe laying into their influences more like a band like cyanide from Chicago. That's a band that's tried and true. Not going to change their stripes. Right. What if that band, just for the sake of argument, did their did an album where they wanted to, you know, just really replicate and lay into the sound of Celtic Frost and Bathory and just kind of like kick it, kept up? Or what if a band like, um, oh, I don't know, man, Deterioration wanted to do an album where they where they just really laid into Napalm Death vibes or so like you know i like I, i'm not saying those bands in particular should do that i'm just looking for for like examples that kind of make a little bit more sense like i'm not i'm not saying that every band should do a metalcore album or a degent album just you know to to sell records but um and i'm not saying you know i'm not saying you know every band should necessarily do what i'm saying all i'm saying is it would be interesting more if you saw bands kind of you know late like I guess differentiate their albums that way sometimes, you know, um, you know, a, a band, a band like, um, uh, maybe like a band like Municipal Waste, you know, doing a, a very like, you know, an album where they, they really lay into the crossover punk hardcore thing. And so, you know, I, you know in, a, yeah. in a certain way, you know, like, like stay true to your, true to themselves, but, um, play up a certain style. People have done it. There's examples, man. Uh, you know, I, I, that's I guess that's all. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking while you're saying that, Will, one thing that's interesting to me and it's relevant because I think Job I think Job for a Cowboy just came out with another album um within the past month or so. Huh. Um Job for a Cowboy came out in like the early mid two thousands when like the Deathcore thing was huge, right? Um and I think the only band of that uh like time frame that kind of found its way to the other side was really like Black Dahlia. I think all the other ones kinda like just tapered out because it was just yeah. trendy and it was gonna 
fail eventually when that stuff didn't become cool anymore. But 2012's Job for a Cowboy album called Sun Eater was actually a sick record. And it had like the bassist of Cephalic Carnage on it. Um, I forgot, I'm forgetting who was on vocals, but like they really did that. They were like, we're not this deathcore job for a cowboy band anymore. We're going to be, we're still job for a cowboy in name, but in every other way, we're doing something completely different with this album. I feel like nobody gave it a shot just because they were like, nah, I'm not going to be caught listening to fucking job for a cowboy, um, which is interesting. Um, I love what you're saying though, because I also think pendulums have to swing and this kind of has to happen. There's going to be an element here where all the stuff that's super trendy right now which is interesting because the trend is old school. So it's like something that's been done before, but the whole caveman, uh, you know, dumbed down death metal stuff. I mean, I, I like that. I'm not shitting on it, but interestingly, eventually that stuff's probably going to swing, you know, in another direction. So when it does, I wonder what's going to happen to like the current bands that are really full in on that. If they move with the times or if they're like, no, 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 we're going to stay exactly how we are right now. Um, it's an interesting thought and conversation. I wonder how this pans out. The the new generation of stubborn caveman death metal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, interesting, man. Interesting stuff, man. Um, so with that in mind, I'm going to ask Tom to bring us uh, a little bit of Witch Vomit's uh, new single, Blood of Abomination, from their forthcoming album, Funeral Sanctum, out April 5th, 2024, on 20 Bucks Spin Records. Um, Thanks, Tom. Okay, man. So we wild ride, man. Shout out to everybody out there uh, in uh, uh, the meadows out there in Brooklyn. Shout out to Tomb Mold. That was a great uh, time. Shout out to my dog, um, the the lady, the new the new heavy hole podcast mascot and head of security, uh, Shelly. She's um, allegedly a good dog. I'm gonna say for now, where, where everything's going okay, this is going according to plan. Thank you to Yosuke from um, Nuclear War Now Records. Uh, for that in-depth conversation. And thank you to you, Ian, for riding alongside Passenger Side uh, uh, with me tonight and bringing that recommendation to my ears, sir. Thanks for having me, Will. Of course, man. Any Now, you went to that show last night. Anything else on the horizon you're looking at? I, I'm looking at Queensryche and Armored Saint coming up. I don't know if that's your, you know, bag. That That could be in the bag. The problem with me right now is finding the... The opportunity. This was one actually. These tickets. I've been trying to see Eternal Champion for like three three years or so, yeah. um, and just can never catch them because they don't really play that much. The band's kind of scattered about. So my wife bought these for me um, before the baby came. She was like, you know, treat yourself. Have one night where you get to go do something. I actually went to a show by myself. Just went solo. Um, so uh, I don't know when the next time I'll actually be able to get out. But there's so many shows that I'm seeing that I would love to go to. Uh, stuff you, your bands are doing actually. Um, included so I, you, I don't know we'll we'll see when i can get out when when's the queen's rex show you don't you just mentioned you, you don't want to trust me you don't want to go see any of my bands it's uh <laughs> it's, it's a 42 year old guy trying to relive his his teenage years it's a little bit sad um hold on i'm looking up this queen's at the uh it's at the paramount in huntington here so that's so that means i can do edibles um there very, you go. Very, very close to home <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, let's see what we got here. It's uh, oh May the third coming up, man. So we got a few months, man. I got I got a few months to turn in bottles, and save up money to, to buy the ticket. Um, did you see that? There's another another show coming up with uh, Dismember and Vomitory and Malignancy and Morpheus descends. Where is this? No, else? I didn't see this. That's, I want to go. That's in August. Uh, in in Brooklyn, um, yeah, that's pro- it's probably already sold out. I'm not allegedly. I'm not saying it's sold out. I'm just saying it might be. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite a quite an event coming up there in um in Brooklyn. Let me see if I if I still got it, man. Somebody sent it to me the other day, and I I looked at it and instantly threw up. Um, at a, just because it was like so, it was such an amazing lineup. It was pretty pretty incredible. I think it's actually they're playing. Like an ever flowing stream, it's in in its entirety, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. Um, yeah, it's a pretty crazy. That's also show. that's enough lead time. August, man. Like if that's not sold out, I could I could do that, and I that's one I would love to. So it's you might you might have another baby by then. The way you you're going, buddy. <laughs> um, let me. See. I'm trying to look right now and see if I got somebody sent me the flyer. I should have been more prepared, like a professional podcaster would be. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's like $65. It's a little pricey. It's like, it's almost like a Ticketmaster, like a Jones beach concert or something, but listen, it's worth it because listen to this, uh, Maryland death fest presents dismember special, like an ever flowing stream set vomitory. Oh, oh, uh, um, malignancy, Morpheus descends and Undergang talking about, uh, oh. the, the Denmark guys. Um, that's going to be August 17th, 2024, Brooklyn Monarch. So get your tickets, man. Cause that's going to sell out. That's gonna I'm, be. That's I'm gonna be not nice. kidding. I'm buying tonight. I'm doing it. I'll see you there. Yeah, yeah. That's. Uh, I mean, a show like that only comes around once every once every once every. And you know, we were talking. A couple of my my buddies and I were talking about the price. Let's be real. People people click on that to buy the ticket. They see the price. They go, "Whoa, that's an underground death metal show." I did. I said that's an underground death metal show. It should be like five bucks. You know, like. But in reality, I mean, look at those bands. Most of them are coming from far away. Um, you know, it's, it's, when are you going to see that again? That's, that's a, a concert event. That's not a show. So I just want to say that in defense of the price, having been someone who was a little taken aback by it myself when I first saw it and then had time to reflect on it and think about what you're actually getting for your money. So I just wanted to say that just to be like upfront and honest, you know, because I know that, that, that might be something other people discuss. I know I don't shut up on this show about talking about kids will, but for anybody that's like, ah, do I bite the bullet? Do I spend the 60 bucks or whatever? I fucking have to go to like see trolls in a movie theater and Ooh. spend like drop a buck 20 Ugh. on, on the popcorn, the tickets and all this shit for Yuck. the amount of kids I have, man, you, you sitting at home right now, treat yourself, spend the $60, make it happen. It's worth it. Um, yeah, it could you, be worse in your life. You, you basically have to take a, like a band on, on the road every time you go out like equivalent, like you you got like a four, like, like how, how many kids you got? This is four, four just popped out. Yeah, it's like babysitting four drunk bandmates. Yeah, it's it's pretty much like that. I I don't know what's worse. That's that that would be an interesting combo. What's being, worse? Being in a children band or drunk is, bandmates. Being in a band is way worse than having a loving family. <laughs> Always choose a loving family over being in a band. That's my advice to everyone. All right. Slash s sarcastic. So don't come after me for that. Um <laughs> Uh, all right, man. Listen, we appreciate everybody rocking with us today. This was a special episode. Um, uh, Heavy Hole Podcast at gmail.com if you want to get at us with your own recommendations or tell us what's going on. 
um, complain about something, tell us about a show you saw, a band upcoming. You can always solicit your demos and whatever. Your people send us stuff all the time. We'll check it out. Not necessarily. Got a long list of people we, we're trying to interview here, man. You know, don't take it personal. Um, uh, Heavy Hole Podcast, we're on Patreon. We're on the social medias. Check us out. We appreciate everybody out there. I appreciate everybody I saw in person on Friday night, that Afterbirth Tomb old show, man. Too many people to mention, man. Um... But uh, uh, and Ian, thank you to you, sir, uh, for joining me on this ride tonight. I think I think that about covers it, right? We got everything. I think so. All right, man. Um, I'm gonna go take my dog for a walk and see if she, she see if she plops out one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, that was a little raunchy. Good, 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 good.